I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I'm not going away, but some dirty dog on the to spit all over me. If he spits over me, I'm Ladies and gentlemen, broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey, this is Achtung Millwall. Hello and welcome to an Achtung Millwall away day at Scumfall. Yes, I'm not Nick Hart. Nick is unavailable today and I'll be doing it for him. Thank you, Ben Lions TV. House of Fun followers, switch off now. Team news in Jordan Archer in goal. Marlon Romeo right back. Joe Martin left back. Sean Hutchinson comes back into the centre half. Let's hope he can last the game with Tony Craig. I'm imagining Fred on the dinner. Dudu was on the right with Shane Fergie on the left. Ben Thompson and Sean Williams centre mid. Sorry, I forgot myself there. Up front is Lee Gregory and Aidan O'Brien. Steve Morrison returns on the bench in big news. Harry Smith drops out of the squad. Um, got Bill asking my ear. I would imagine it's just, a, it's just a natural thing. Smith's come in, he's done well, but probably give him a rest now. The main man, Morrow's on the bench. I fancy to get a result today. I know that might sound crazy after last Saturday, but I really do. Um, yeah, should be a good game. It's a horrendous ground. Wasn't a bad drive up. Straight up the M11, not too sad at all, but it's almost um, Luton Town-esque, but minus a couple of tiers. It's a uh, shocking ground, really. Just, three points clear in the league. Just shows you... You know, it's, it's what really, really grates on me, the potential of our club, the ground we got the following, and this mob at top. Yeah, I'd just like to say a big thanks to Nick, uh, Tongue for letting me do this today. Proper excited, love his show. He's very uh, intelligent, witty, and sharp-humoured, Nick. Uh, you'll get a little bit of a less intelligent version of that today on me, unfortunately. I'm a little bit more brash, a little bit more sweary, but uh, that's me, unfortunately. Bear with it, hopefully it'll do well, and we'll get the three points, bring it home to London. Come on, you Lions! Achtung, Millwall. The mascot's coming round, the scumful mascot. He's called Scunny the Bunny. And Millwall fans chant at him, you're just a nonce in a costume. Make of that what you will. I'm not sure if we'll make the edit, but it's yours, Nick, if you want it. Just about to get underway. Millwall attacking the far end, away from the away fans. The 400 or so Millwall fans in really good voice. Uh, Scumfalls kick off in the almost West Ham-esque colours. Millwall in the away yellow. Archer wearing red. I don't know why that's important, but I've said it now, it's too late. Uh, so I've said it before, I really fancy to get a result. The travelling fans in real good voice. Oh, fuck me. I was doing a, I was doing a couple of quick tweets for Lions TV. They've nearly scored in the opening 
Fucking 15 seconds, just gone for long ball over the top. Defenders didn't deal with it, same old story. But uh, guy went down, appealed for a penalty, wasn't given. Now Archer kicks it long upfield. Tries to win the flick on, great kick from Archer, win the length of the pitch. Here comes Fred now, peeling for handball. And we've got it, free kick to Millwall, 25 yards out. We'll get the camera, got the camera in one hand. Phone in the other, recording. Look like an absolute nonce. I think Scunthorpe players been booked there for protesting. Sean Williams over the free kick, I think that is. Come on, Williams. Stick this one in, boy. Come on. Ah, uh, wide. Sorry, it wasn't uh, Williams. That's my eyeballs. They're not what they was, used to be. It's Joe Martin stuck it over. I don't know about Williams on that. Fergie, nice little ball down the line. And Mill will have a throw in deep in the Scunthorpe half. The way, you might recognise that way, it's different to other ways, it's the way of balls going out of the stand and never to be seen again. And sold on eBay by Scumfall fan. Scumfall putting the ball back nicely, ball into the box. The call from Archer, claims he had the feet of Hutchinson and the 14 centre forward for Scumfall. No prizes for guessing where this kick's going from Archer. Absolute Launchville, there you go. Ball over the top again. They seem to be targeting our left side. Scumfork, they must have done their own work. Archer again, it's too long and Archer collects. Archer looking for Gregors again. Again, Gregors didn't win it. We're lacking an aerial threat here. On him? Um, I would have I would have included Smith, to be honest, instead of AOB. Scumfork popping it around nicely. Eight minutes gone. Over on the right side now. Well, our right side. Attacking Romeo. Romeo holds him up well, but he gets it back to the left back. They're popping it nice. Good football from Scumfork. Here comes Scunthorpe again, looking dangerous, pulled through the middle, semi-blocked by Tomo, well, no one's picking him up. The left winger was completely unmarked, but the ball wasn't good enough to find him. Oh, fuck's sake. Gregors, oh, he miscontrols it though, runs back to the goalkeeper, he pumps it long, Williams underneath it, wins the header, but suspicion of handball, not given. Fred does well to win the ball back. It's Tomo now in the centre. Turns inside nicely. Williams with a great ball over the top to AOB. AOB crosses. Oh, come on. Good little move. Well, when we get the ball, we actually try to play in the midfield. I like it. I mean, Sean Williams, I said it before, he could not make a mermaid. He's got great vision. He's got great passing range. And Tomo works his socks off. When we, when we actually attempt to play a bit for week, it goes well. Millwall fans in good voice, the talking of voices, I seem to have adopted this semi-posh uh, voice today. It's not my usual voice. I don't know why I've adopted it, but I'm enjoying it. Long kick, comes back to Sean Williams, here he is. You know he's capable, is he one? Oh! Sean Williams, with one of his 25, 30-yard specials, chesting it down, called it on the, on the, on the bounce. Goalkeeper makes a good save, called it to Millwall. Corner will be taken by Shane Fergie, out swinger. He's got his hand up, they've been practicing something, he plays it short. To Williams, Williams crosses far post. It's a header, oh, fuck me. Just over from Hutchinson. Good little spell, this to Millwall. 20 minutes in. Expecting a good one here, Fergie. After you block me on Twitter. Well, I was even following him on Twitter, I don't know why he's blocked me, well, I do. 
I don't rate him very highly. He's got a good delivery, I'll give him that. But not aggressive enough, pulls out too many tackles for me. Anyway, here he is, he goes in, goes in flat. Good header. Oh, I think that was Hutchinson again at the back post. Two players go for the same ball, a little bit of confusion. Now Scunthorpe but here with a chance. Well, that didn't work out from as you can hear. Goal kicks to Millwall, but again, our play breaks down quick. And straight away, teams are on us, they break quick. That's one thing that grinds me with us. We don't break quick enough, we don't move the ball quick enough at times, but, you know, it's 20 minutes in, it's nil-nil, it's not too sad. Sean Hutchinson's conceded a needless free kick. It's all on the edge of the D for Scunthorpe, very central. And dirty Northern Bastard is the chant from the fans. It's a long way up, Scunthorpe. Um, very cold here, as you would expect. Not, not too sad on the way up, but my mate had the aircon on all the way. I got out of car to warm up when we got here. The play it short, Scunthorpe. It's back originally where it started now. Play to the left winger, he cuts inside. Ball to the back post, header. Oh, fuck. Back into the mix. And Williams concedes a corner, plays it safe. Still a very fragile and lethargic at the back. Players pulling off their markers so easy for other teams. What is that? They just drop, they just drop the yard, stand still and then sprint off the back of them. And it's, it's just too easy. Corner now to Scumfall. Keepers wrap round Jordan Archer. Ball into the box. Almost like a wrestling match in the middle there with AOB and the defender. Borderline double, headlock. Scumfort pass the ball out of play easily. Throwing to Millwall. 23 minutes gone. Here come Millwall now. He's AOB. Little nice inside to Fred. Fred to Gregory. Here we go. Oh, fuck me. Lee Gregory. Pulls a good save out of Scumfort goalkeeper. Although Scunthorpe have had more play, we've had the more clear-cut chances. 25 minutes gone. Come on, Fergie. Fuck's sake. Stick in, boy. Oh, my God. Shit free kick from Fergie again. And this is why I question people's judgment on him being an excellent dead ball player. Shocking. Free kick to Scunthorpe now. Ball come through. Tony Martin was fouled, in my opinion. Ref wave play on Joe Martin when they clear it. Not the best clearance from Joe. <laughs> Ricocheted off uh, someone, cut the eyes in front of him, bobbled around. And Scunthorpe now have a free kick, pretty much identical to where we just had one at the other end. Here comes Scunthorpe again. It's getting to Joe Martin. He's going to cut inside you there, Joe. I can tell you that for nothing. There you go, he did. And he shoots. Archer parries. TC. Clears. Archer could have held that, in my opinion. Shane Fergie lets the guy go past him. Joe Martin doesn't know. Well done, Joe. Tony Craig clears it out for a corner. The Millwall fans ain't happy. They thought that's already gone off, but they hadn't. Joe Martin did well there. He's having a good game, Joe. Very physical, and that's what you need in this league. Cross into the box. Oh, fuck me. And the referee. Gives us a free kick, much to the delight of the travelling fans. Free kick now to Scumfall. 35 minutes gone. It's going to be in swinging. Fergie and Tom again make a two-man walk. It's WWE-esque in the penalty area. They're all over the wrestle, all over the roll round. You haven't blown a whistle yet. 
comes in, in swinging. Archer doesn't get there. 1-0 scumful. Jordan Archer come for it, never made it. Guy lost it over him. 1-0, scumful. 37 minutes gone. It's calmed down after the goal. Scumfort 1-0 up. Joe Martin gives a needless free kick away wide. In swimming into the box. Archer comes for it. Doesn't get there. Caught in no man's land. And a loops header goes into the corner. Archer complains to the defenders, but in all fairness, you come to the keeper and you call. You've got to get there. If you don't, for the stay in his line, he takes three steps to the right and he saves it. Catches it under the bar. Not a problem. Throws his out on it. But he didn't. He's giving fuck all, mate. Fred's on the ball now. That's not Fred. It's Tomo, what am I on about? Yeah, I got that more wrong. Ball in, oh, under the bar, a header. Oh, fuck's sake, just not bobbling for us. Fergie, one hand up, back post. And he's kicked it straight out of play. Shane Ferguson, Millwall's dead ball expert. The cunts we were standing in front of. Speaking to me, mate, yeah. He's, he's, he was standing up the back, he's had to come down and stand up front. He's fuming. He said, people on Tony Craig's back since the first minute of the game. To be fair, he's done all right, Craig. We've been getting hurt from wide areas, mainly our left side. And uh, to me, that's obvious why. I'll tell you what, like, they've, had, they've had better possession. We've actually had the better, more clear-cut chances, I would say. We're still in this game. It'd be blind if we could bring more on at half-time and give us a room with a real shot. Because these long balls, no one's really winning them. They're all coming forward now. It's going to be half-time any minute. Here comes Romeo. Down the right. Looks it back to Fred. It's a physical game. It is. People getting muscled off the ball. And uh, it's football, in my opinion. A lot of people here want a lot more free kicks than we're getting, but I don't think it's been too bad, to be honest. Here comes Scumful now. Do not concede now, for fuck's sake. Oh, no. Oh, my God. 2-0. 2-0, Acrobatic dramatics from the fucking forward. I'll tell you what. Look at... Hutchinson's made an unbelievable block there for the first tackle. And the guy's got off the floor and fucking scored again. Hutchinson and Fred at it. He's fucking doing his nut Hutchinson at Fred here. Fuck me. Bullshit. All the time. I knew it. Fuck. Fuming. 2 0 down. Half time. Imminent. Mountain to climb. Achtung. Millwall. Second half's underway. Um, Millwall players late out. Scumfort will make some weight. Morrison and Worrell are on for Fred. And. Joe Martin, um, make it out what you will. Millwall straight on the attack. Oh! Steve Morrison straight into the action. Absolutely chopped. Free kick and a yellow card. Oh, I think Harris has given him a bollocking. Morrison straight into the action. What'd you make of that, dear listener? Sorry, Nick, I had to nick that one. I love that, dear listener shout. Come on, you Lions. Instant impacts, as you would expect from uh, our leader, Steve Morrison. One a few headers straight away. Yeah, Greg. No, Greg, has, Greg has a bit of confidence because he's like, feels like he's not running a worthless course. Good start from Mill. First couple of minutes of the second half. Well, I will say for Harris is, you know, you can only go with what you got. If you ain't got your players fit, uh, I'm hearing Harry Smith didn't travel. So, you know, you can only go with what you got, you, at the end of the day. 
Morrow can't play 90 minutes, he can't play. That one should be down to the manager, that we down to the, the fitness team and the player himself, he don't feel ready. Good knock, great knock, I'm not sure that was to be honest. Here's Morrison, controls well, switches on, and he's found him. Here comes Griggers, oh, and he's played it behind AOB. He's, he's done well, Griggers, he's won it back. That's, you know, as, as we all know, it's everything a Mill fan wants to see. You lose the ball, don't worry, don't give up, go fucking win it back. Williams wins it back well, plays it wide to Romeo. Great touch from Romeo. He's careering down the right for us. Checks back inside. Nice. Good ball, it's a good ball. Oh! Gregors goes for the header. No joy. Aiden O'Brien turns the defender well. Go on, AOP, go on, go on then. Oh, fuck's sake. Just that final ball. Again, boys, we're looking good. This is what we came to see. Long ball. Wide right. Warrell's got a chance of winning that. He doesn't. Unlucky. No one likes us. No one likes us. We don't care. We are Millwall. Send the Millwall. We are Millwall. Go on, Arab. Your mum's a slag. Your mum's a slag. They just sent it to the scum for keeper. Um, maybe she is. Not for me to judge. Hutchinson does well. Great little ball, actually. Plays out nice out of back. Warrell. Long ball. Here comes Stevie Morrison. Oh, you fucker. Good run, Morrison. Great run from Morrison. I did a shoot the other day and Ollie Mers was there. I did it as my profile picture on WhatsApp. Not because he's a good picture of a Mers, because I like, quite like the picture of himself. And uh, Tony Warder texted me within about an hour of me doing it, saying, get that picture of you and Mers off your WhatsApp. You melt. So uh, I didn't put it back to one of me and him. They just texted me again saying, stick Mers up your ass. So cheers, Tony. Could have done with you in goal today, big man. Morrison's, hang on, what's happening there? Oh, he slipped there, Morrow, unlucky. He shook his defender, he's playing very deep. Long clearance from Scunthorpe. Archer comes out of his box and heads it, and he's giving it away. He's giving the header away. Cross into the box, good night for Yenna. 3-0. Jordan Archer comes out of the box from a long, long kick, and he tries to head it. So I think it was Tony Craig who went straight to the centre forward. Centre forward runs in and squares it. Free to fuck off with your shit music. 3-0. Game over. So that's it, 3-0. Our gone. Long ball over the top. Uh, Archer came out. He tried to play safe with the header and hit it sideways to Craig. It didn't, we went straight to the centre forward. He ran and squared it. Rolled it in the net. Again, individual error. Again, Jordan Archer for me. Two goals. Down to Archer, they come again now, Scunthorpe. Fuck me. This could get embarrassing. But we've been in the game. We've been the better side again in the second half. But, you know, we break. Have chances, but don't convert. The other team seem to have one chance and fucking score. Or, in this case, three. Scunthorpe. Dominating possession now. Can hear the chance from our fans what they think of it all. Fucking shit, man. Chance of shit Millwall from a, a lot of the fans. And now that. Um, I don't know where I stand at it. You know, they are top of the league. I, I'm, I'm slowly coming to terms with what we now are and looking like a League One side. Callum Butcher is now coming on for Marlon Romeo. I don't know how that's going to pan out, who's going to go where, but a lot of people leaving. Yeah, sorry, I was just saying, you know, 
I don't know where I stand that it really we haven't done that bad. It's just individual errors of Costas. And as a manager, if you go if your goalkeeper's fucking up for two, you know, you can't you can only do so much. You can only guide them so much and what you want to do. I'm not saying he guides them unbelievably, but you know, when your goalkeeper's full for two goals. And he is a fault for the two goals. People go, yeah, if you don't think Arsenal's a fault for the two goals, then you, I'm sorry, you don't know your football. Anyone that does um, watch Lions TV, quick plug, I can safely tell you now there will not be a, an away day VT on this. I wouldn't subject that to you. I wouldn't subject you to that, sorry, should I say. And I'm sure the 400 or so mill fans, or I say around 350 now, that still here, would agree. You done well swerving this one so close to Christmas. A long hoof field. Uh-oh, this could be disaster. Archers don't know what to do. Oh, Archers claimed it right on the edge of the box. It's absolutely died a death here now. Achtung, Millwall. Uh, Achtung, Millwall, full-time. The game's ended. Sorry, I had, to, I had to cut off to do my vlog. But no surprise that we didn't come back. The game finished 3-0 to Scunthorpe. Individual errors again have cost us. You know, I don't really know what's happened. That they were top of the league scum for, but we was in the game. The sucker punch massively was the second goal right on the break. Didn't help our, our cause at all. A lot of fans angry at full time. It's, it's a big mix at the minute. A lot of people saying shit. A lot of people clapping. Uh, good to see Steve Morrison get through 45 minutes and looking sharp, and Sean Hutchinson come through 90 minutes. But we need now is Webster back with Hutchinson, and then we'll be good again. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Act Tongue. Sorry I couldn't get a result. If you didn't like it, never mind. You won't have to listen to me no more. Nick will be back next week. He'll uh, probably be back on Wednesday, actually, for the Cholton London Derby. Let's fucking turn these anoraks over, eh? Come on, you lions. Meine Damen und Herren, Achtung, Müllwald. Ahoy there, me hearties. Welcome back to Achtung Millwall with me, Nick Hart. A huge thank you to Dan Goodwin for that fantastic coverage from Scunthorpe yesterday. Um, at TV underscore Lions on Twitter. You know the channel. It's well worth watching. He needs followers. Get on it. Um, go and subscribe to his TV channel. That He's doing fantastic work. He's a very talented boy, as I say. Um, so a big thank you to for Dan for that coverage up there at Glanford Park. Now, sadly, this is the Sunday morning nightmare, and we did get stuff 3-0, and we can't escape from the fact that things are not right within our little team at the moment, within our little group. Speaking after the game, yes, I'm going to quote this um, piece at length by Neil Harris. No, I wasn't there. Dan was. I got a sense from Dan's coverage that in parts... We didn't play too badly, but we got stuffed with three well-taken chances and we didn't take our chances yesterday. Now, that may come in time. It will come in time. We've got our two quality strikers back, Gregory and Morrison, but um, too many mistakes and errors at the back. So Neil Harris, speaking after yesterday's game, says there was nothing in the game for 90 minutes except that we made three errors. At this level, against a team that's top of the league, you can't make errors. You can't make basic errors. It's just not acceptable. If I can't trust people to do the right things, people are making the same mistakes, then I'm picking the wrong players. However good they might be at doing something else, if they can't do their jobs properly, they can't play. We were looking really comfortable and a real threat on the turnover of possession. 
We're away from home against one of the best teams in the league and get into really good areas. What I'd say today is that we were nearly we were nearly men with the ball. Sorry. What I'd say today is that we were nearly men with the ball. We got into really good areas around the box, but it didn't quite have the end product. It's not quite happened for us in the last two games in front of goal, but it will because it's happened for us all season. That will come. But for me, you can't give the team at the top of the league opportunities like we did. I'm disappointed with my players for that. I think they've let themselves down as a group with those errors. There's nothing between the teams and we come off having been beaten 3-0. This is a critical passage now for me. It's the same young players making the same mistakes. It's hugely naive. We accept there are going to be errors from young players. Of course we do. But we don't expect the errors now. I expected them last season or at the start of this season. We have to make better decisions with the ball and without the ball. We're making slight errors of judgment and the ball has ended up in the back of our net. I have to take responsibility as the manager and ask if I'm picking the wrong players. Well, yeah, that's cool being a manager, Neil. I'm really not sure about some of this public slating of the players in the group, um, the young players in the group. Now, yes to this team, I'm just trying to run my down to see if I can pick out the young players. Uh, I'm not sure if Jordan Archer truly qualifies as, as a young player anymore. Um, he's, he's certainly not he's, he's not reached the peak of his career yet, but um, from what I can gather from Dan's coverage, you've got to include his errors in amongst uh, two of the goals at least. I haven't seen them on TV, so I'm speaking slightly blind. Um, now, whether he's one of these young players picked out by Neil or not, I don't know. Marlon Romeo is a young player. Uh, for me, Marlon... I drew a yellow card yesterday. I'm just looking at BBC here. Um, for me, Marlon's been one of our best performers all season. Hutchinson and Craig, not sure they fall into that category. Joe Martin doesn't. Fred, Fred is a young player um, and he's having his ups and his downs, but that's the kind of player I think he's going to be. I think that um, he has a touch of the um, uh, the Paul Ifills about him in that un unpredictable, you know, unpredictability. Um, now, whether he's one of the, the group that, that Neil's um, referring to here, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought I'd give him many defensive responsibilities if that's what's leading to goals. Sean Williams, Ben Thompson, I would guess, would be one of the group. Um, but again, when Ben Thompson's not in our team, dear listener, we notice a fucking difference, don't we? So, um, again, he's drawn a yellow yellow card yesterday, so it sounds to me like he's got stuck in and with a referee who's a bit of a, a, bit of a slag by all accounts. Um, up front, Ferguson... Uh, Gregory and O'Brien Ferguson's not a young player. Um, and again, you'll have heard Dan's critique of, of his game yesterday. So I'm not sure really what the fuck Neil's on about, if, if I'm going to be honest. The, the group, it's more the experienced players that I'm worried about, less the young players, because they are at the start of their careers and have yet to learn their trade fully. Um, from what I've seen, it's you've got to be looking at the opposite end of the age scale, Neil, if you want to find the true reason why... We're struggling defensively. I'm going to say no more to you than that. Some Twitter comment for you, dear listener. Sam Brown said, Scumfort have taken and put away almost every chance they created. A clinical final ball, and that's why they are top of the table. Um, Tax67 with a an emoticon of a downcast face. Says he's never said this before, but Neil Harris needs help or to be replaced. Sorry, Millwall. Um, this is Millwall, says, two errors from Archer. He blames David Ford. Very good, very witty. N says, if Harris wasn't a legend, he would have been questioned some time ago. Playoff final last season, how have we gone backwards, asks Dan. Very good question, Dan. This was a controversial one from Lions Live Radio. The Lions are battling away, 
but are getting no help from some of the fans. Full stop. Crazy. Now that generated a bit of an online meltdown and response, which um, I won't I won't read them all out. Um, so, but there's one here. Um, what do you want them to do? This is the fans from Double Denim Dave. Three 0 at that Northern shithole. Ten minutes left. I would have fucked off by now. Said Double Denim Dave. And my favourite tweet, possibly of the whole season, uh, from the wonderful Doug Walker. Uh, this is poetry. I, I, I replied to him on Twitter and said, I, thought, I regard this as the true poetry of the English language. And it goes back to my crude beauty. I don't know if you remember from the previous show, I do love a bit of crude beauty. Well, this is crude beauty for a reply. Doug says, and who the fuck do you think you are? Telling people when they can and can't complain, you massive thunder cunt. Fantastic, Doug. I love it. Thank you, mate. Mark Litchfield didn't expect anything yesterday. It doesn't excuse excuse the defeat for Mark or the kamikaze defending. But Scunthorpe were on top and unbeaten at home in a year for a reason, he says. Uh, Mill Halfway Line says he's very grateful to John Berylson for stabilising our club. However, uh, Halfway Line says we're drifting. And I saw comments uh, by Berylson in the South London Press yesterday about small crowds yet again. Get real, mate, says the Halfway Line. Get real. Um, Andrew MFC... Um, the squad is so thin, Neil Harris needs backing, <clears throat> but uh, massive pressure on him to sign the right players. Um, a lot of comment I've seen around about the, the lack of quality in some of the signings. Now, that may be a little bit unfair on Sean Hutchinson, who's been plagued with injury. Bold accounts did well yesterday, but um, there's other players like Greg Wilde, who's been given the, the, the nod to go. Um, disastrous signings come in, made no impact at all, apart from a bad one, and has now been given the nod to, to leave in the January transfer window. And finally, Stewart says that Neil Harris was ruthless when he had to be with Alan Dunn and David Ford. Time to be the same with the current back four, says Stewart. I think I have to agree with you there, Stu. Any road, as my old nan used to say, that's enough of all that. Um, next up on today's show is a really interesting little conversation I had in the week with a Millwall fan and author of the London Large crime series, Mr. Gary Robson. So stay tuned for that. And more content later to come in today's show. It's a packed one for your listeners, you lucky people. Are you tired of having no voice at Millwall? Then why not join the AMS, the Association of Millwall Supporters? The AMS is an independent fan group, meaning they're not directly affiliated with the football club and therefore they aim to truly represent the fans' best interests. To join the AMS, visit amsgroups.info. That's amsgroups.info. Or if you're on Twitter, go to at a underscore m underscore s underscore group, and they will be happy to answer your inquiries. Huge welcome on the show now to Gary Robson, Millwall fan, crime thriller writer, Englishman, proud husband and dad, beer lover, and hopeful pessimist, Gary. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks very much. Lovely to be here. Well, brilliant. I mean, I, we were just talking off air, listeners. I'll just I'll just stop Gary following these tracks because um, I was saying you're doing all the good stuff off air and I haven't got the recording going. So now I've got the recording going. So a um, little introduction um, to Gary. Gary, you, you've produced, um, well, it's actually a, a series of books so far, isn't it? The London Large Series, Crime... Two, yep. 
crime novels. Yeah, give it a little crime, crime two so far. The trilogy yeah. is planned. We've done. We've just released the second one. Right. And these are kind of very gritty, hard-boiled um, crime thrillers set on the streets of London with a sort of Bermondsey, old-school Bermondsey copper as the main protagonist. Okay. That's what they are. Oh, we've had a quick look at the yep. website. The listeners want to go and visit London at Large, which is all one word, londonlarge.com. Um, it's a fantastic piece of work you've put together on there, Gary. I'll take my hat off to you and, you and your brothers. It's written as a co-production, Thanks. isn't it? Yourself and uh, Yeah, the Roy. two of us. Yeah. Um, yep. How do you find working as a double act on, on a piece of fiction? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually intrigued because we were just talking before we began recording, and I... I I've always wanted to do stuff like that, but I think I slightly lack the storytelling um, knack. And, and there's a certain, you know, um, talent for storytelling, which I'm um, not sure I've got. But writing as a duo, that must be difficult for you, mate. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if you know you've got it until you try it, to be honest, because I wasn't sure I had it myself. And I'm still not sure I've got it. It's up for readers to sort of buy yeah. the book and judge. Yeah. But uh, writing with Roy has been uh, very, very interesting. It's... Um, what because what we ended up doing was about two about two years ago we decided you know we'd, we'd uh, be a good idea to try and make a few quid out of something or other fair enough and uh it's not the only motivation but it's a part of it you know it's like commercial <laughs> fiction i want people to go out and sort of <laughs> this is this is mural fans we're talking to here gary <laughs> art don't come into it mate <laughs> yeah, I know. so <laughs> so we thought right what could we could do we looked at our sort of skill set such as it is yeah um, and we wanted, and um, what we f- just before we get into this, because I've always liked these kinds of books, you know, like uh, kind of our boiled criminal, crime fiction, like, yeah, uh, yeah, Tory, yeah, yeah, criminal yeah. stuff, yeah. And also, I wanted to get back to writing something about London again. I don't live in London now; I haven't lived there for a while. But I wanted to get back to uh, writing something about sort of London, your hometown, so so, home city, yeah. hometown, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we we sort of dreamed up a way of uh, figuring out, because we live a long way apart, Roy still lives in London, and I live over, I live over here, I'm living in Poland, in Krakow. Yeah, Krakow, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, we, had to, we had to sort of figure out a way of being able to work together, but sort of at a distance. Right. And that meant that meant just figuring out a way of, uh, the way we do it now is we, we meet a few times a year, we yep. like brainstorm everything, and we get all the, all the story, all the narrative, all the plot points and all that, all the characters sorted out. Yeah. And then we sort of, Make a big plan of all the of all the chapters, and we divvy them up, and we go away and do them. And it's so you actually map it out quite meticulously. We, we map it out. It's the it's, it's, it has to be mapped out really meticulously because yeah. then we we go away and we ch- we cut the um we divvy up the chapters and write half about more or less half the chapters each. Right. Okay. Which means well, you can write a book in half the time. You know. I'm yes, busy, yes, I'm that's, that's true. Time. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the reasons. It's a functional <laughs> way. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Well, because well, we we figured out like a formula. For you know, sort of how the chapters could work and yeah. our style, I should say. Yeah. And we and we took it from there because you know I'm busy, he's busy. Um, and yeah, well, basically you can write a book in half the time, so we can we can get what turn turn one round from idea to produced, and we're producing them ourselves, you know, through Amazon and all that. Yeah. In about a year. Okay. It's, it's, uh, about well, a year. So that's well, what we've done. I doffed doff my cap, mate, because as I say, I, I, I admire anyone that actually um, does stuff, and this is probably a classic example of kind of, you know, a decision and doing something. You've got two novels here. You've got Bound by Blood. That was the first one, I believe. First one was Blood on the Streets. Blood on the Streets, apologies. And then the new, the new one, one is Bound. Just, new one is Bound by Blood. The third one will be out next year, and that's called Bloody Liberties. 
Bloody you might notice a pattern. Doing it <laughs> I can see the common theme. Yeah, um, they're cracking reads. I mean, they're page turners. Um, you can get them. You can buy them physically and also on the download. Is, is that, am I correct in saying that, Gary? You can get. I mean, as Kindle downloads, uh, or you can buy them physically because they make an ideal Christmas present, as you know. Uh, they, they, well, uh, or and if you if you just want to dip your toes in the water and you don't want to part with your money, you can go to LondonLarge.com and get a Kindle of the first book. Blood on the streets for nothing. It's a free for, for a while for now. Yeah, yeah for a freebie. That's a freebie. If you've got a Kindle, you can get that for nothing. There you are, listeners. You can't beat a freebie. So go to LondonLarge.com and download it and see if you like it. And if you do, then Gary's looking for you to buy his, his second one, Bound by Blood. Achtung, I've done I've done a fair few interviews myself, uh, not for like media, but for my work. You know, I do sort of sociology, and I like to do. Uh, you know, uh, like ethnography and, and just talk to people, not make up a load of theories, just talk yeah, to people and yeah. try and figure out, you know, take it from what they're saying. How did you get into uh, that, Gary? That's an, un, that's an unusual I'm, field, an unusual place to be um, doing that kind of uh, work. Or maybe... May, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, how I got into it was a uh, long time ago now. I, when I, I went to university as a, I don't know, I was nearly 30, 27, 28. So I was an adult, an adult type of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I was an adult, you know, return to education type. Of right, thing. okay, okay. I left school when I was, you know, 16, like everyone else. Yeah, and um, yeah. I, I sort of discovered, I, I, I discovered, uh, I did a social science degree and I, and, uh, it, I found it interesting because I thought it might be a way of, it made me think a lot about where I've come from. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the culture of where we come from and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So to cut the long story short, I ended up doing a PhD, okay. Goldsmiths. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and, because uh, I got into it and it was, was you know, I, I they paid me to sort of read books and and, and fanny about really. So it was was not to laugh. Was not to And I wound up writing a, I wound up writing a PhD about it, which was a you know I turned it, it's all about Millwall and the yeah, yeah, South London yeah. culture and all that. Yeah. But that's how I got into it. I got into it. I, I, I became a sociologist because by the time you've done a PhD, I think there's nothing else you can do. Much not. If, you, if, you, if you've got a PhD in sociology, <laughs> no one's going to employ you. <laughs> I said some sociology department at university. <laughs> so I'm I just drifted into it. I didn't really have. I boxed myself into a corner. I didn't have a lot of choice. Just, I just got into it, and, and, and I couldn't. I got into it, and then I couldn't get out of it. So here I am. Achtung, As I say, it's, it's a fantastic series. So the third one is due next year. You're not going to stop after this third one. You're going to have some other ideas. I'm, I'm guessing, Gary. Well, any, any kind of long-term views well, as to where you might take this? I think it will. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it will become long term. Yeah, uh, we've only we've mapped out the three books. We got we you know we had the idea for the three books from the beginning, but I think uh, we'll just keep going. You know, we'll review where we are. Yeah, we'll get the next one out for like this time next year. We'll review where we are, see how, see what we're selling, see how you know if we manage to sort of uh, establish the brand, as they say. But no, it will keep going. Now the thing is, we we're really sort of attached to the characters. We're really attached to like the main character, and uh, we just want to um, see what happens to him. You might be to do some pre some prequels, some later things in life, and all that. I don't know. What we don't know yet, but we like him too much to just let him go. We'll be doing some more stuff after the after the initial trilogy, I would think. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing a lot of links with Millwall Football Club itself. I mean, I've written down a few um, prime notes for myself here. It's almost like a man out of his own time, in a sense. Old old school values. Yeah. Um, yeah. Takes no prisoners. Old school blood, guts, and courage. Almost in a, yep. you know, uh, almost in a nutshell, that's that's our club that we follow, Gary, isn't it? I mean, it's almost rep- it's a representation of Bermondsey itself, in a sense. That's how I think. Yeah, traditionally speaking, that's how I think of him. Uh, Harry Hawkins, his name is known as H, the character. 
One of the reviewers of the book on Amazon said it was like, if you remember Life on Mars, the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? It, it, someone said it was like Life on Mars in reverse. This, this geezer's so far out of his time. He's not really happy with what's going on, but with one thing and another. But he's like, he's stuck in the 1960s uh, and uh, taking a bit of a dim view of things, you know, one thing and another. What he sees around him, the changing city, what the changing life around, him, around yeah. him. I know. It's, yeah, yeah. It, all it, that. it hurts sometimes, Gary, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think, I mean, I was interested to talk to you for that very reason. I looked at the website and I thought, well, that, that's actually a very interesting um, angle to take. I mean, we, we, we we follow a club that in its own way is is out of step with the rest of football in many respects. Yep. The world yep. the world is, I don't know I going to say modernising, I'm not sure that's quite the right word, but it's certainly changing into something else and football's part of that. And our little club, I yep. mean... Um, it, it exists as an island of, um, you know, the, the, an island of the past almost, isn't it? Stuck in this, well, it, in this changing like, world. Yeah, I think so. A past where there are certain kinds of values and sort of um, attitudes and, uh, yeah, well, just a state of mind kind of thing, really, I see it as. Oh, is, compromising, uh, yeah. It's yeah. kind of a bit unfashionable yeah. now. It's, it seems to represent uh, much of the kind of all, all the sort of values that it seemed until recently to be really going out of fashion or sort of a bit dated. I'm not too sure now. I think there might be more people, more generally in, in Britain, say, who uh you well, obviously there's a lot of people who are not all that, all that happy with the way things are. No, no. And I think it's a little bit I'm not going into politics or anything. Who just uh well, might look, want my idea for the books was they might want to read a really strong stories where in which the protagonist was was um Somehow represented their worldviews more than a lot of the stuff you see. It's there. like he's one of the, one of our own almost. If that, oh, there's a hackneyed phrase a little bit, but I, I think it's got value that um, you know we would be a recognisable character for anyone that follows Millwall. Um, oh yeah, sure, yeah. You know he you, will be. I mean, he's actually he's actually. Sorry, man, I'm interrupting. Yeah. No, no, no. Go on. No, I was interested. In that. No, he's, he's actually based on anyone. Like, you know. Well, between us, he's like a composite character of various people we've known. Okay. Across of our, our generations, we're like in our fifties, and yeah, people like older as well, and of our dad's generation. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he's like a, a sort of composite of that, and he's actually a Millwall fan. He's from Bermondsey, but we don't. Uh, <laughs> Millwall people will get their references. Put it that way. <laughs> but we don't make a big meal out of it because. Uh, I think that might chase a lot of readers away, you know. So it's... Uh, um, <laughs> well, that don't intrigue well, any I, listeners. I don't know what will. I mean, you're going to have to download it now <laughs> just to find out who, who, the, who, the, who the hero of, um, of, of the books is, actually is. You probably identify him all around you, actually. That's, that's the, what I've picked up. Yeah, at he's a bit website. like that. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think he's like... Um, he's, a, there's, he's a bit of quite a lot of, of old school... Let's say he's a kind of composite of a number of old school blokes we, we know and have known you yeah. know, over the years. And just try to and capture the way you know people you know think and talk and and all that and the way they feel and uh, in in, a, in like a just one big figure. He's like a larger than life figure and with uh, uncompromising views and but very very strong moral, very very strong like moral compass. You know, for him, it's like it's good and bad, and he doesn't like a bully. You know, and uh, he does what he has to do to protect people that need protecting. That's basically his. Um, it sounds like a few, a few, a few around the place, Gary. I'm just looking at your um, <laughs> your Twitter feed here, mate. I'll follow you on Twitter. That's Gaz uh, at Gaz Crack. So G A Z K R A K for anyone who's on Twitter. Follow Gary. Um, and I like the hashtag you got on your your lead. Uh, I don't know what they call it. It's like a headline thing on there. Think yeah. think for yourself. And I think that's a pretty good um, a pretty good moniker for us all to to push there's not enough of thinking for yourself in this world there's too much following other people's views in my opinion um 
and you know, and I, I, I take my hat off. So I, one, one of the thing I was going to ask you, this, this might shut a few people out as a technical kind of writing question, but I, I, I admire anyone that actually um, puts puts pen to paper, so to speak. But you, you, you know, you just described the protagonist. There was someone that you kind of know. You must have a vision of, you know, it's based on people that you know. I, I find yeah. it and have found it in the past quite difficult to compose fiction based around real life examples. And now that's what you've got to do because that's all you've got to play with in, in your own palette in your head. But um, did you find it difficult to write about people that you know? Or, is it, or you know, it's a certain courage involved in that, isn't there? Well, I, I don't know. I, I found it, I didn't find it that difficult. I right. found it um, because there's a couple of things. One is you've got all sorts of uh, characters. You can, what, and what we found, what I've found writing fiction is you can make, you make a whole like, range of characters who, who can be like composites of various people you've known. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From from their sort of personal characteristics or the way they talk or just their names even, you know, especially their sort of surnames without giving too much away. Yeah. And and that, about what when it comes to H, the protagonist, what I wanted was a just a character who, who could really sort of stand up, stand for, and convey, you know, the sort of things we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so, for me, he became like a he's almost like a, like a, a a sort of hero anyway. He's a bit like I'd like to be. He's okay. a bit like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, bit, yeah. You know, he's a bit, he's a bit of a wish. He's a bit of a kind of a wish fulfillment figure. He's a bit like uh, if Jack, you know, if Jack Regan was still about and Sweeney, <laughs> some of your older <laughs> listeners, may, I know who uh, you mean, <laughs> have fond memories of him, of course, uh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, my idea for him was a bit, he'd be a, he'd be a bit like Jack Regan if it was, if Jack Regan had survived, I got out of the 1970s and made it to uh, where we are now, uh, and was a, was a South Londoner. And so I, I, I think of him as a sort of a, a sort of heroic figure because he's, he's there's certain things he just is going to defend. Yeah. You know, you'd have to read the book to see what they are, but they're probably not that hard to figure out. He's going to defend them, his values, and uh, the things that need defending. Yeah. So quite soon after we started writing him, he stopped being like a made-up figure, 
I've, right. I've read this, and a lot, a lot of writers have said this. I think I've, I've been reading, you know, the kind of thoughts of a lot of. I, I follow some of your tweets. They're quite, um, you know, they're based on uh, clearly writers that you admire. And... Yeah, but I always, yeah, that's true. But I, something I didn't count on was that once you've created a character and you're happy with, with him, in this, mm. he sort of um, starts to have his own life. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, 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 about about three months into the, it gets it becomes real because so I, I, I have to believe he's real. H lives in your head. He's real to make him real for the reader. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, but it's it went. I went mad when we to stop. I've got used to it now, but I got a bit disconcerted for a while because I would find myself in a, in a situation and I would think, "What would H do?" <laughs> This is now. This is someone I've made up, <laughs> but I I sort of came to uh, see him as such a real sort of figure. <laughs> I, I, I found and still find myself thinking, right, what would H do in this situation? How would he respond? Fantastic. So and that might be a sign of my like, deteriorating mental state, but <laughs> listen, mate, I you... think to try and answer your original question is, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's real. So therefore, it's easy to write about him. I think he's real and I like him. And listen, Roy's the same. We, we've got a lot of time for this guy. Listen, you're talking to a bloke that sits in football stadiums talking into a microphone to himself, basically. So I know, I know what it is to be seen as the nutcase, you know. Um... <laughs> Fantastic work, Gary. I, I, I take my hat off, as I say. Um, well, listeners, check out LondonLarge.com. It's Christmas, and we want to shift. Um, we want to shift some of these copies so that Gary writes a third one, and we get correct. the mo- get the movie deal. That's the next. That's the next level, mate. So we want we're, we're working on the telly. We're, uh, I'm thinking more of a TV series. You know, six or eight part. Okay. Sort of a state of the art. You know, sort of a TV thing. Yeah. Brilliant. We're working we're, on that actually. We're yeah. work- Excellent. Well, that's that's good news. So um, it's on Amazon. You can go to the website. You'll find all the links to to buy it. It's based in Bermondsey. It's it's set amongst their own, and it's a fantastic read. So um, check it out. I think that's all, all we can say. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for that. Lovely. Brilliant, Gary. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Not at all, mate. It's been a uh, been a pleasure. Achtung, Mailball. Radio Miser. Well, hello, kitties. Welcome to DJ Randy Miser's special Mill History section where we generate uh, random numbers using the miracle that is the online random number generator. We go between 1 and 131, which takes us back to uh, in years. We go from now, right here, right now, back to 1885, potentially. And this week, DJ Randy Miser has generated three rather interesting numbers for us. We have a 31. We have a 43 and we have a 131. So, therefore, we have three years. We have 1985, we have 1973, and we have 1885. How about that? So, um, we're going to be looking back at the fixtures, the mill fixtures, on those three randomly generated years, courtesy of DJ Randomizer. So first up, we have um, 31 years ago this weekend. We have um, a bit of a, a crunching result, unfortunately. Norwich 6, Millwall 1 on the 21st of December 1985. It was 4-0 at half-time to the Canaries. Um, a late consolation goal for one Teddy Sheringham in that game. Now, that was our first season back in Division 2 after the previous promotion-winning season under George Graham. George Graham's still the manager coming into this this particular game. Um, Millwall team that um, pre, pre-Christmas afternoon, 21st of December, so last Saturday before Christmas, never, always um, traditionally a bit of a, 
you know, a, a bit of a, a poor weekend for the Lions from from uh, memory. So in goal we had Philip Granville. Do you remember Philip Granville, dear listeners? I do. Um, one of the most average goalkeepers I think I've ever seen. Then across the back line we've got Paul Hinshelwood, Alan McCleary playing that day in central defence, Alan Walker, and Rhino, a young Rhino, Keith Stevens on the uh, on the right. Across the middle we've got. Um, Briley and Chatterton in midfield. Les Briley, Nicky Chatterton, Anton Achulikovsky and Steve Lowndes. And up front, Teddy Sheringham, um, the young Sheringham at this stage. Um, not long into his Mill career at that point. And Steve Lovell. Um, Chatterton was substituted at some point. It's not recorded on the Mill website what minute um, for, for John Leslie. And we finished that season ninth in Division 2, having been promoted the previous season under the miracle worker that was George Graham. Um, and our average home attendance, home attendance, this 1985-86 season, if we think we've got problems now, have a look at this home attendance for um, a Division Two season. Um, 5,474 on average at Colblow Lane. Biggest home crowd that season looks like um, the FA Cup game at home to Southampton uh, in March 86. Um, that was biggest home crowd that season, which was 10,000. 625, a, a loss, 1-0 at home to, to Southampton, who I think were first division opponents at that time. Um, that was after the um, drawing the, the away game, um, 0-0 at what was then, I guess, the Dell still, the old um, Southampton ground. Uh, we lost the replay at home at 1-0. So, yeah, a bit of a mullering um, prior to Christmas, that, that particular December 1985. 6-1, 4-0 down at half-time, goals from... Norwich players Mendham in the fourth minute, Williams in the eighth minute. So we're under the cosh inside the first ten minutes there. Barham on 33 0 down by 30, 4 0 down by the 33rd minute. And there's a game over really at 3 0, I would say, in that particular match. And then second half goal, further goals for Drinkell and Thielen in the 76th minute. And as I say, the late consolation goal by Teddy Sheringham on the 83rd minute. Um, now, the Mill, uh, Mill History, the Mill History website is a fantastic um, store of knowledge. And that enables me to tell you that going into that game at Norwich, we had 24 points, clearly getting beat 6-1. We came out of it uh, with 24 points, still 19th position. Now, just um, by, by way of contrast, I'm not sure if Randy and Myers will generate this at some stage, but I'll, I'll, I'll do a spoiler for you. Uh, the very next game, having been beaten 6-1 away at Carra Road, um, our next game was on the 28th of December, the post-Christmas result, where we beat Hull City at home 5-0 in front of 3,783 fans. If that's not the most Millwall sequence of, of um, results, I don't know what is. From 6-1 down to 5-0 at home, and just 3,743 turned out to watch it at Colblow Lane seven days later. There you go. So if anyone ever tells you the good old days were, were really good, keep these results and keep these little sections of the show in mind, because really... Um, you don't know how good you got it now compared with some of what we went through in the past. So there we are. That's that's the 31 number generator, 31 years ago. Randy O'Miser. Next up is another Norwich game, interestingly. 43 was what DJ Randy O'Miser generated. Now, that takes us back to um, a most odd fixture, one that I was at, actually. I remember this in flashes. Um, it was a Wednesday afternoon fixture. It was a, a quarter-final of the League Cup. And yes, I did say Wednesday afternoon, 19th of December, 1973. Um, now, at this time, younger listeners may not appreciate quite what was going on politically at that time, but this was an era of the miners' strike, a, minor, a 
not the minor strike as it came to be, the defeat, but this was um, the 1970s victory, I suppose you'd call it, uh, in that, at that time. And the miners were on strike, causing um, all sorts of problems for power generation in the country. So we would routinely back then, it sounds like you're describing the Second World War when you say this stuff, but um, we would routinely endure um, power cuts. So each evening between, I don't know, six o'clock and nine o'clock, the power would go off. You'd have no electric. Um, it wasn't so bad after nine o'clock. You'd basically go to bed. But um, between six and nine or five and eight, or whichever way around they did it, they did it on like a rolling basis. Everyone took their turn to have their power switched off. Um, you'd be sitting there literally in candlelight because in December, as, as everyone knows, as we know right now, it gets dark quite early. Now, as part of the um, government's emergency powers um, reaction to the um, the loss of power and, and, the, and the depletion of the coal reserves, back then Britain was a, a major coal producer, uh, again, something that's gone. Um, basically, the government um, introduced rules relating to non-essential use of power, one of which included um, football clubs were not allowed to switch on their floodlights because it used, you know, inordinate amounts of electricity. So as a consequence, in 1973-74, I was um, 13, 13 at this point, um, we got to quarterfinals of the League Cup, big event, first time I'd, um, you know, been to Millwall, in, in what you might call a big match situation, I started going in 72, we just about caught the end of the near miss promotion season but I, I don't think I fully absorbed what what that meant in in all honesty so this quarter final league cup run with the the allure of Wembley which um, seemed a remote allure but it was certainly within touching distance at, at this stage um was was you know was was a was a a major event now quarter final home game against Norwich who I think were the division 1 side at that point a top flight and it was kicked off at 3 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon school day Absolutely, yes, that's right. So how did I get there? I, I bunked off school, didn't I, like any other self-respecting Millwall fan did. Now, I think had it been played in the evening, the 7.30, 7.45 kick-off, as they used to have at 7.30, I think it was back then, um, you would have added a good another 10,000 to the crowd. But given that this was a an afternoon kick-off um, on a Wednesday afternoon, reserve time fixture normally, to get 10,747 into the den on a working day, albeit just before Christmas, it was, was quite a feat, actually. Now, the result finished one all, um, and I remember this going quite well. I remember bunking off from Chislurst. I used to go to Cooper School in Chislurst, so I think I... I can't remember the details of how I wangled this, but I think I went in for registration, obviously, in the morning, uh, wearing school uniform, naturally, and somehow I think Mum was at work. Dad was out of work, obviously. Mum, Mum went to work. So that enabled me to the ruse of, um, at lunchtime... Um, walking out the gates, um, getting myself down to the 161 bus stop at Chislehurst War Memorial, shooting back home to Beaconsfield Road uh, and, you know, getting changed, obviously, and then shooting off again up to Elmstead Woods to get to New Cross for the three o'clock kickoff. It was, it was um, one thing I do remember. I don't remember much of that of that journey, but I do remember the kind of business, the surrealness of going to Millwall on a, on a regular day. Um, every, your whole routine is, is knocked, knocked out. And similar to when we played on a Sunday at that time for the same reasons, actually. Might come back to that on future randomizers. Um, so, yeah, um, find yourself on a Wednesday afternoon at the Den with 10,000 other people for a big game. Um, don't remember much of the game. I remember the uh, the white of the Millwall and the yellow and green of, of Norwich, obviously. And we went behind in the first half, 1-0 at half-time to Norwich. Alfie Wood equalising for the Lions in the second half, which took it to a replay, which I believe we lost. Let me just check this one second. 
Yeah, replay played uh, January the 16th, 1974. That was away at Carrow Road. That was a loss 2-1. Um, Smithhurst getting the Lions goal, uh, but we went down to, to, to the Canaries. And that was the end of the uh, the dream of Wembley for us at that point. League Cup round five, quarter-final game. So there we go. That season we are in Division 2, and we finished in 12th position. Um, a slightly uh, dodgy start to the season, I seem to remember. If, um, I think we're flirting with relegation until probably into 1974. Ten, ten home wins, six draws, five losses. There's quite a lot of losses from the middle at that point in the, in the history. And, and as ever, the flaky away record, four wins, eight draws, nine defeats, 42 points. So bang on par, 42 games played, 42 points gained, one point per game. Mid-table respectability. Lions team for that quarter cup quarter-final, League Cup quarter-final. No sponsorship in those times, kids. It was just called the League Cup. In goal was a fantastic Brian King. Across the back line, Eddie Jones and Dave Donaldson. These were the two replacement players for Brian Brown and the legend Harry Cripps. Um, I, I have fond memories of Dave Donaldson. He was, he was a really committed um, fullback. In the middle, Big Kitch, Barry Kitchener, Alan Dorney. And across the middle, we've got Dougie Alder, Frank Saul, Gordon Hill. I think I've got. I put it into a four-three-three. I couldn't quite fathom out who would be where, but Alder, Saul, and Hill. Uh, Hill was uh, Gordon Hill was a fantastically promising wing. I might do a little piece on Gordon Hill. It was the first time that we had a really um, attractive attacking player in my time, and we sold him. Of course, sold him to Manchester United, where he went on to greater glory, FA Cup and England honours. Up front that day, um, Gordon Bolland, Alfie Wood. Um, a fantastically rugged striker, one of my favourite strikers in my young days, and the ever-reliable Brian Clark, who I think I mentioned in the previous episode. Managed that day by Benny Fenton, um, one of the great Millwall managers, Benny Fenton, and as ever with management, um, it always finishes in failure, doesn't it? I think he was he was struggling by this stage in his Lions career, but he took us within a, a hair's breadth of the top flight in, in 1971-72. And after that, <clears throat> it was kind of managing decline. That the team that he tried to rebuild never quite took off for him, and he was he was actually sacked in the following season, seventy four seventy five. Benny Fenton was sacked, and Gordon Jago came in. Um, average home crowd that season, nineteen seventy three seventy four season, nine thousand four hundred eighty six. Remember that game? I was there that day. I bunked off school to get there, so um, a fond memory from Mill past. Randy O'Miser. And finally, an interesting number generated by the um, online generator, 131. Now that takes us all the way back to the very earliest days of Millwall Football Club, 131 years ago. Was, um, well, I picked out two fixtures because of the lack of information. I've had to resort back to um, Richard Lindsay's book and also the James Murray Lines of the South book on this. There are there's scant information about these early fixtures. Now, on the 12th of December, 1885, 1885, 131 years ago, the forerunners of the current Millwall Club, the Millwall Rovers on the Isle of Dogs, played a team, and I'm going to guess this is a church side, St. Jude's. Many football clubs in the era formed around church um, activities. Uh, St. Jude's obviously sounds like a church to me. I, there's no information online I've found about St. Jude's. Anyone that knows anything about the, either of these two opponents, I'm going to name check today, will be more than welcome to get in touch. So we have a home win for Millwall Rovers 2, St. Jude's 0. Um, home fixture. So that would have been played at the, um, it's been played at the very first pitch 
known um, to, to Mill Rovers. Now, that is located, I'm just looking at the Mill History website as I'm talking to you now, um, and Gary, who owns that site, has done a fantastic amount of research into the possible locations for his first football pitch. Now, bear in mind that back then, the Isle of Dogs was a highly industrialised dockland area, and it's not like the um, mix of residential and offices, you know, and the Canary Wharf that we, we know of today. Um, back then, it was mostly um, industrialised docks and wharves, rope works, um, all things related to the, the era of um, steam and, and, and sailing ships at that point. Now, the very first um, ground was at a place called East Ferry Road. Now, it's actually at the junction of Glengall Road and East Ferry Road. And Gary has done a, a kind of a, an imagined location for a possible football pitch um, on the junction of those two streets, Glengall and East Ferry Road. Um based on, on old maps and based on the dimensions of, of the football pitch as it would have been at that time. Little is known now, there's, there's no trace of anything at that point there of Mills football ground. Um, if you ever do go over to the Isle of Dogs, I did a, a little video some years ago, I don't know if anyone's seen it, where I tried to visit the various sites of the, of the grounds on the island. Um, I find it fascinating. I mean, it's um, a bit of a nerd like that. Maybe you're a bit of a nerd too, but it's well worth doing. And he's got, he's got a lot of, of um, current day pictures and images and images from the 70s as it used to be. Um, well worth a check out. It's millwall-history.org.uk. Now, we don't know the teams for, for that fixture, Mill 2, St. Jude's nil. One week later, we, we had a win um, over a team called Iona. There are various teams that use the word Iona. I'm Mr. Scott's um, reference. Um, but on the 19th of December, 1885, we went to Iona. I'm going to guess that's a local side, possibly somewhere in um, in Essex. There's an Essex um, Iona referred to on a couple of um, Essex um, minor leagues. Um, and we won that one, one nil, and away win. Now, just as a means of trying to fill in what is, you know, little is known of, the, of that time, but the, the wonderful book by James Murray, which was brought out in the, um, the early 90s, I think, the full history of the club, contains a little bit of text about those days, which I think might be appropriate for me to read verbatim. Um, given the randomizer's choice of 131 years ago. So I'm just going to read this little piece from uh, Millwall Lions of the South by James Murray. The connection between soccer and drinking was apparent even in those far-off days. The club, Millwall, selected the Islanders, a beer house at 5 Took Street, Millwall, as its headquarters, where the landlord's son, Jasper Sexton, was elected secretary at the tender age of 17. The club's first chairman was a young local doctor, a GP, Dr William Murray Leslie, aged just 26, who went on to become a pillar of local society. He was probably also a very good doctor, and he managed to live to the age of 92. It's quite an age for those times. Strangely, Dr Murray Leslie never played for Millwall, despite being an excellent footballer. His considerable height made him a natural centre-half, and it's thought he once played in that position for Ireland against England in 1887. As odd as it seems, Mill Football Club was inaugurated with a cricket match at Clinker Valley between the gentlemen and tradesmen of Millwall, where some players actually took to the field wearing bowler hats. As summer of 1885 drew to a close, the football season was pressing, and so too was the problem of finding a suitable ground upon which to play the fixtures, which had been drawn up for between October and the following April of 1886. At last, Mill's first ground was selected an improvised rubbish tip on the western side of the island and close to Morton's factory. But that scrap of wasteland at the western end of Glengall Road and now Tiller Road goes down in history as the first ever home of Mill Football Club. On Saturday the 3rd of October the big day arrived. A nervous party of tinsmiths from Millwall travelled to Leytonstone 
for a game against a team called Phillibrook. Sadly, they were thrashed. That's the story of our lives ever since, listeners, isn't it? Three days later, the Sporting Life became the first newspaper to report a Millwall game, and just 32 words sufficed to tell the sorry tale. Millwall versus Phillibrook. This match was played on Saturday at Leightonstone, on the ground of the latter. The home team penned their opponents considerably, winning easily by five goals to nil. Things could only get better. Thankfully, there was no fixture the following week, so they had 14 days to prepare and somehow take advantage of the lesson handed out at Leightonstone. And so they did. The 23rd of October 1885 edition of the East End News gave a remarkable insight into just what happened for their second game. On Saturday last, the 17th, the Millwall Rovers started from the Islanders at Took Street, Millwall, in the three-horse break for Buckhurst Hill, where they had to play a match with Buckhurst Hill FC. Having arrived at the ground, no time was lost in, in dressing, and the kickoff took place soon after four o'clock. The Rovers having won the toss, play was very brisk, but it could be seen that thanks to Messrs Crawford and Oliver, the Rovers had the day. Mr S.W. Hodge played well for the home team. Unfortunately, the Rovers had no umpire, and as their opponent's umpire was not what he might have been, two goals were disallowed in favour of Rovers. All finished, they started for home, having a pleasant ride through the country, and upon their arrival at Millwall, were welcomed with a grand pyrotechnic display. Fireworks indeed. That gave some idea of the importance of the football team to the island, and just a one-all draw was considered a moral victory for such an infant club. If the report did appear to favour Millwall, that was hardly surprising, because they wrote it and submitting it to the local newspaper for publication. Coincidentally, 100 years later, Millwall's second game of 1985 against Crystal Palace also saw Millwall have a goal disallowed by an umpire, considered by many not, not to be up to what he might have been. That game ended in a one-all draw, and a banger was let off by a home supporter during the match. So few changes over such a long time. There we are. That's an excerpt from uh, The Lines of the South by James Murray. Fantastic piece of work, and I might return to that for future colour and insight. I mean, it's just an immense piece of research by a fantastic writer, James Murray, Millwall fan through and through, of course. So there we are. That's the randomizer section for this week. I hope you enjoy these little bits. I, I enjoy making them, and that's kind of all I care about, really. Um, 1985 86, Mill, uh, Norwich 6, Mill 1, 1973 74, Mill 1, Norwich 1, midweek game in a League Cup, and 1885, Mill Rovers 2, St. Jude's 0, and Iona 1, uh, Iona 0, Mill Rovers 1. There we are. You're listening to Achtung Millwall. And finally, to, on today's show, big welcome to um, an absolute warrior. And that's not me saying that. That's Barney Rone to Mickey Simpson of the AMS. Welcome to the show, Mick. Good morning, Mick. You're all right, I'm mate. embarrassing you, and I, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you and me, I'm going red fella. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it when I saw that tweet the other day. It's like, oh, oh, well. There we but, are. You know, but on, on that, there, there's been some great messages from the fans and all that lot. But look, we're only doing realistically what you'd expect a fan group to do, really. And and it's what we've always set out to do. And it, you know, at the end of the day, we just want people held to held to account. And um, and if we can do that, then um, that means we're doing something in the right direction, doesn't it? More power to your elbow, mate. I, I, I think, you know, um, people are seeing what's going on online. They're seeing the work the AMS are putting into this this fight. And it is a fight for survival, Mickey. We, 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 you know, I know that um, 
sometimes, you know, people don't want to get involved in, in this kind of thing. But this is about the lifeblood of the club and its role in the Bermondsey area. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no kind of, um, can, there can be no surrender on this. We've got to fight to the finish, haven't we? Yeah, we do. And I think the, uh, you know, I don't think it's it's a time for poking fingers or saying what ifs and all that. I think, I think what people don't fully understand is that everyone's digging and doing stuff behind the doors yeah. because it, we can't afford things to come out public um, until we absolutely need it in the public. And that goes for us, that goes for the club. Um, uh, you know, the club's yeah, PR. Absolutely. Literally, because <coughs> when we need the stuff out, then it comes because if we release stuff too early, all of a sudden the opposition as such suddenly know your tactics and then they've got time to counteract it. Completely, we're not giving them yeah. any, you know, we're not giving them anything. It's like the stuff with the, the academy and all that. If they were stupid enough not to know about it and realise that that was a major issue, then unfortunately when it was risen, we're not going to give them a preempt on it. It just suddenly comes out and that's it. Yeah, was, then they've got to deal with it. Let's just talk about that because I, mean, I, I went over Thursday night. You, you couldn't make Thursday. I, I got myself over there to Catford after work, just just in time to catch the breakup of the meeting, Mickey. It was a confused yeah. situation, to be absolutely honest. I wasn't entirely sure why it had broken up, but the truth of the of the event was that there was a the, the cabinet meeting was going to um, consider the application for compulsory purchase orders on the car park and the the uh, line centre and, and the other bits and pieces of land. But um, Millwall Football Club had received um, confirmation from the Football League um, regarding the, the Category uh, 2 status, which is in jeopardy as a result of yep. the um, loss of the, the indoor football pitch next door to the ground, isn't it? Well, part of the, part of the qualification for that is that they need a, um, access to an AstroTurf 24 hours a day. OK, they might not need it 24 hours a day, but they have to have access to it 24 hours a day. Yeah. And it was raised on the meeting on the Tuesday when I went to. Um, and where the club and the um, yeah. MCT and everyone else spoke so so highly, so um, so great, really, yeah. um, that it was raised then. And um, certain people within the council looked dumbstruck. Um, the <laughs> scrutiny committee sort of, I think, had an idea because I think the club wrote letters, and then literally, I think, the next day or the day after, there was a letter what arrived um, from the Football League, what basically cemented that actually the club weren't talking bollocks, really. No, I mean, the, the letter from the Football League, which is on, I think you've got it on your Twitter feed. Yeah, on, it's on, on our Twitter, yeah. On we, the AMS. We put it on Twitter and, and the Facebook, so yeah. So I'm just looking at it right now, as, as you and me are speaking um, Sunday morning, um, and the letter's quite clear. This is the EFL, as it's called now, the the Football League Youth Development. Um, a fellow called uh, Jim Bryden, who is Youth Development and Business Operations Manager for the Football League. And yeah. what he's saying is, is quite clearly laid out. I might as well just um, just read it. Um, he says there, there is no wiggle room on these mandatory conditions. That's that's literally what he's put in the letter, dear listeners. Um, that they any category one and category two academy side, which is what the Lions are at the moment, must have an one indoor artificial surface pitch me- measuring a minimum of sixty yards by forty yards, which shall be owned by the club. Alternatively, the club must have a legally enforceable agreement with the owner its use um and then there's a critical sentence so just think because i I know the the council tried to cast a bit of doubt on this um position mick but let's get it get it out there it's this is what jim says from the football league it is extremely likely that failure to fully comply with the above regulation would result in the club losing its category two status that's what the football league says i don't think there's much doubt about it i mean i don't think there is i think it's straightforward it's pure fact yeah but you know if you don't have that 
then basically you'll be playing the likes of Dagenham and yeah. and the lower league teams, which is never going to advance your kids. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think the FA will back up that that's naturally a true rule. And you see, I mean, if you check the website, the new Sport Energize Centre or whatever it is, it doesn't look to be absolutely proper facilities for Millwall. No, or the no. Millwall Community Centre there. But also, if you look into it, it says that Millwall have access to their 4G, 4G pitch. That's yeah. access. Access, that's not, not ownership. No. That's not yours. Yeah, it's not yours. It's no. basically, oh, I'm sorry, there's a group of, you know, there's a group of 30-somethings what want to use the pitch for a couple of hours in the afternoon. So, unfortunately, you're, um, you're not going to get it. So this this jeopardy to the our category two status for the academy also has a, fi- has a financial impact. I mean, again, the, the letter here says the difference between grant that you get from the um, I think it's the FA or the Premier League. I, I don't know which, but the difference between um, the two the two categories is currently two hundred ninety five thousand pounds, so near three hundred thousand um, pounds, which yeah. will be lost to the club. Um, it was, it's a good few hundred grand that if you don't have it, you don't get that money. No, absolutely. And then you know, and also the fact that. What 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 we know all that are doing is pretty much putting the MCT in jeopardy and the academy, and that's what people just haven't thought of, you know, within the council, within within the renewal, they've just not thought that moving the community centre away from Millwall and putting them into a building what isn't theirs, yeah. they don't have any control over it. It's pretty much like me saying to you, yeah, you look, you own the lease in your house, I'm going to live there, and you say, yeah, yeah, come in, mate, you can live here. But at any point, as soon as me or you have a falling out, you don't like something what I've done, you can go Mick, get out. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, because it's not mine, you can't do nothing. It puts it puts our category two states in jeopardy. It's one of the great attributes of our club that we do we get to play the best the highest level clubs that attract players to our to our, our teams. They get to play the Arsenals, the Chelsea's and, and the others, and that's why kids want to come here. And and as you say, Mick, if we're playing Dagenham South End, no disrespect to those well-run clubs both, but that's not going to be the same attraction, is it? We will not get these kids well, from look the local community. Look at Fred. No, look, at, look at Fred. Fred's done well in the, in the under-23s and the under-21s and all that lot. He's played some good teams. And all of a sudden, you'll learn, do you think Fred and people like that will be where they are now if they can't play that sort of... Absolutely if they can't not. play that sort of skiller team, they're not going to. No, they're going to go And, and also, also, do you think that, you know, OK, we, we over what, last year or so, I suppose we haven't really had any, but... You go back to like Andre Townsend um, <coughs> yeah. and the others, Jay yeah. Simpson, people like that from the Premiership. Yeah. Do you think the Premiership team's going to say, "Oh yeah, you can go to Millwall"? By the way, you're only playing Braintree or Dagenham, or you know, no disrespect no, no, no. to them, or or lower end league clubs where you're not really going to. They're not going to be testing their players. No, the absolutely. You, you just all of a sudden you're just shutting the door for the future development of Millwall. I mean, it's bad enough that the development's going to go around them. It seems as if they're trying to pin them in that way, but. Uh, at the end of the day, all we're saying is, look, have a bit of common sense. Involve Millwall. You haven't involved them in this new stadium. Why not? I don't know. Mm. They're not a partner, not anything. Why hasn't anyone spoken to them? It, it's just crazy. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't make sense, mate. It really doesn't make sense. There's a so statement. we're getting this late in the day yeah. and people haven't even taken that on board. There was a statement on, on Lewisham Council's website from Councillor Al, Alan Smith, mm. Um, I mean, this is all the blame game. They're trying to cast aspersions on the club, and despite being firmly committed to the continued operation of Mill FC in the, in the new Bermondsey, blah, blah, blah. So he mm. says, for the first time, despite years of contact between council and club, on the 13th of December, earlier this week, the chief exec of Mill Football Club and his spoken submissions to the council raised this issue. So it's almost like it's um, it's come out of a clear blue sky for 
um, for Lewisham Council. Um, I mean, I don't know the full extent of that, whether it, whether it has been raised previously. Do you know if, it, if it's been brought up in the past, with, in, in, in previous contexts? To be fair, I don't know if it has, but I think, to be fair, I don't think the question's been asked. I think people have just bulldozed the situation from renewal on the council side and not actually sat down and had any meaningful conversation with the club. No. They've just literally gone, right, we're going to have that bit of land where the community centre sits. We're going to put you over there, but... We don't really know what we do there, but don't worry, because we've we give you access to a pitch and we give you an office. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, hang on, look, they go over there, they do walking football for the older people. They yeah. do they do stuff. stuff they? They, That's have, right, yeah. uh, they have syndrome teams. They have everything else. They have access to go away. They've got, you know, the under 21s, the under 18s, the under 10s, the under 9s. All, all the different age groups will sit there and play there. Yeah. All the work they do with the gun crime, the knife crime, the kids going to prison, get them out of trouble, everything else. And all of a sudden, you're putting all of that in jeopardy. Don't forget that realistically, last year, and the report, the report what was made has come out. I don't know if it's public or whatever, but I have seen the report. But it saved Lewisham Council nearly seven and a half Absolutely. million pounds. Yeah. And that works out realistically that every pound was spent on the training centre, on, on the activities, what they do, generates nearly six or seven pounds back in the good it does in the community. And if you're prepared to sit there and jeopardise that for no reason, you've got to ask yourself why. Why are you forcibly trying to push this through? I mean, Lewisham admitted on Tuesday they have never, ever used a CPO to give to a developer in this way. They've used it for their own purposes, to build, like, houses or do infrastructure jobs and stuff like that, but they have never used a CPO. And a great quote what came out of that meeting was, we're learning, and every day we're learning and we're picking up what we're doing wrong. That's not right. That's a local council destroying a local club that's been in this community for over 100 years. How can you justify that? You can't. It does feel a bit amateur, Irish, given the scale of the development, the value of the land, the scale of the, you know, the numbers are, are, are large on this kind of, these kinds of schemes. And yet it does feel a bit like it's, um, as you say there, we're learning, we're making it up as we're going along, you know, we're, we're picking up new information all the time. Well, this is big stuff. This is big boys um, deals and that you'd expect the local council to be on board it. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just reading Councillor Al's statement here. I mean, it, I, I just, I think what strikes me, and you and me have spoken a good few times, we did the previous show, done those little videos on site. The the, the decision seems so slanted in favour of renewal. It, it beggars the question as to why. Um, we don't know who stands behind renewal. We, we can only speculate on that. But I mean, just reading a sentence here, that Councillor Al, or Lewisham Council, one and the same, Believes that sufficient protections for the uh, for the club's category two status are in place already. But that's flatly contradicted by what the football league, who should know their you know what 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 their rules are, are saying in their letter. So again, you get this sense that their decision's taken already, don't you? This is what at a meeting at a meeting on Tuesday, right? Was was comical. They um they turned around and went. Um, the legal law and and, mm. and the other people, the council officer said, all the information regarding bits and pieces have been readily available. And Councillor Hall looked at him and went, really? He looked at his panel and everyone on his panel shook their head and went, no, <laughs> no, we're, that, that's that's not exactly true. And Councillor Hall sat there and said, that's not exactly true. That, that isn't how it is. Yeah. You know, and, and, and every time they kept saying stuff, they were looking as if to say like, no, that's not exactly true. That That's... What you're saying isn't true. No. I mean, you go back to the sales document on there that was designed in 2015, whatever, that was basically done by one. Yeah. Then what was happened is, is that it was done by, done by part of the company as a, as a test for um, a exams. Just to see whether 
never looked like I'd get investment. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't it, it wasn't meant to come out. It wasn't meant to come out. It was no. just done as a test to, to put through. So one of the, um, I think it was Liam, someone from the, Curran, the council. Liam Curran, council. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he raised the question and went, um, who's this Marcella? I think it was Mar- Marcella or something, who's, who's the person who who done it. And yeah. he said, who's this person? And the council officer went, oh, that's the um, that's the person who done the report. He said, okay. He said, has anyone spoken to him to obviously inform him yeah. that he was... Um, his his name fraudulently used, that his his name has been put to fraud, fraud, fraud fraudulent usage. Document, yeah, yeah, of a document, and obviously that um, what's his response to it? Yeah, and they went, no, no, no one's done that. He said, well, why not? Mm. Because obviously he's done that document. He he's had no no input. It should come out. I mean, the other thing they said is that meeting when they can get a red round was how can that document come out? All the, all the information that the different companies within it, how did they get that information if it wasn't given to them? And the main crux of that thing is, why is it on that document that it's got CPO in place? CPO in place? Yeah. And we're going to be saying that was 2015 as such, or, or allegedly. Then all of a sudden you're it like, feels... okay, but why CPO in place? We've got to be careful how we choose our words, but it doesn't feel right. Let's leave it. Let's leave it at that, because otherwise we start to go into the realms of um, unfounded accusations. Um, now the fight's going to continue, Mickey. I think, but... I think the right word for it is it. It, it smells. It smells worse than um, standing outside down the fish on a hot day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think that's not. That, that's not you know, I, I, it's been tweeted out. It's not exactly. No. It's, it's not know, roses. It's not roses, is it? Let's, let's be honest. No. Uh, so we're going to reconvene on January the 11th um, for for yet another um, cabinet meeting. We'll see what comes from that. Um, just to close out, Mick, um, the fight's going to continue, mate. Um, Hugely. Well, you know, um, what, what do you say to Mill fans? What can they do to help and assist in this fight that will continue to the very finish of it, mate? I think they do what they're doing now. Retweets, yeah. get involved. Don't. Don't don't take um, your personal feelings to any of the the um, councillors and all that lot. I understand that yes, we've all got personal agreements, and there are some out there what you really would like to, to yeah. tell what's what. But anything you do, they're going to use it against us. So yeah. look, the club's working well. We're working well. We're talking to various people within the club. We're talking to people within the PR. Yeah. So you know what we're saying is going forward, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. We're probably going to add some steroids to it yep. um, and, and, and get a bit more full on. Okay. Um, but everyone's digging. Everyone's got in information. It's just, unfortunately, because of, of obviously the enemy's close, they'll be trolling through our, our tweets, the Facebooks, et cetera, et cetera. We can't tell you all, everything, what we're, what we're ready to sit there and announce. Nope. But when we do, it needs the fan base to basically retweet the, um, the arse out of it and just get it out there um, so yeah I mean this this month we've had some good views of it yeah um, the numbers you get on those retweets numbers you get on these retweets is quite incredible and I know from yeah, yeah. doing doing what I, I do uh, and this is my message to everyone listening to the show Mick um, that it's a simple thing just retweet anything on this subject coming from AMS from Barney Roney and, and, and I suppose myself as well but retweet it the more you retweet it the more it multiplies the numbers are quite incredible Mickey aren't they yeah, I mean, if you if you like it, ret- if you if you like it and retweet, it goes out. Basically, what it does is it puts it on your time scale. So, if you haven't got many views, 
followers. Yeah. It don't matter. All of a sudden, it's been put in front of your followers, and if other people tweet and go forward, I mean, you're looking quite easily that you can get. You know, I mean, even a, a basic tweet was probably only got twenty, thirty. You can get nine, ten thousand views yeah. through it. And yeah. then you're looking at something what gets really, really a lot of views. You can get 30, 40, 50 plus. I mean, I think our Twitter is, is, is exposures this month of well over half a million. Um, and we're only, what, 16 days in. So I've got no fault against the fan base. The fan base has been absolutely 100% fantastic. Um, you know, they've given us a message. But look, what we do is nowhere possible if it wasn't for them. No. If if they didn't, you know, if they didn't support us, then we wouldn't be anywhere. So, you know, it, it's a. I look at it that it's a joint, it's a joint mission. Um, we're just pretty much the, the leader of it as such. We're we're the ones directing it at the moment, but it is a um, an ongoing, an ongoing battle which every one of us is involved in. Well said, mate. Well said. That's no Mickey well, Mickey Simpson from the AMS group. Uh, that's at A underscore M underscore group with a capital G on Twitter. Follow him, retweet. I mean, I just want to back what Mick said about retweeting. This shines a light into some dark corners and they do not like it. They do not like it up them. Um, and that's the way we want to want to keep it. Thanks for coming on the show this Sunday morning, Mickey. I really appreciate it, mate. No worries, fella. I'll speak to you again. All right, speak to you soon. Lovely. I'm not going away, but some dirty northern punts just spit all over me. These spits over me, I'm not fucking going to lose it. You've been listening to Octoon Millwall, the CBL Magazine podcast. That's the Millwall News this week, and we are out of here. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.